0: <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Actual Anarchy Podcast brought to you by the fine folks at readrothbard.com. We also run actualanarchy.com. We host this podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective and we've recently been featured in a plug by Tom Woods, so if you're new from the Tom Woods group, welcome. We hope you enjoy our show, and uh, I have a co-host, Robert, and we also have a special guest who we're going to introduce in just a moment, but how are you doing, Robert?
1: Man, I'm doing fantastic Love and Life, although I will say that you tried to kill me again, and I survived, but you are wearing me down. You are chipping away at my psyche, at my hopes, at my dreams, at my love for humanity. Um, I don't know if this was your idea or if this was our guest's idea. But maybe you're just having a bad day and you want your faith in humanity restored. You want just something to remind you that life is worth living and that human beings, there's some value there. You need to stay the hell away from active killing because this nightmare of a movie, if I tried to watch it over a period of about two days and I'd get like about half Half an hour in and I'm like, Oof. okay, I made it. I made it a half an hour. And I've never looked so much at like the, the progress bar on the screen as it's just inching across the screen as the movie goes along. Uh, I had to pause it and write down the crazy things that were going on and being said in this movie probably about 20 or 30 times. So I've got over a thousand words of notes here. I don't know if we're going to get to them all, but I am debating of whether I want to spoil this for the audience or rescue the audience from having to actually watch this horror movie. Um, I don't know. But we're going to get into it, and it's going to be an interesting discussion. Hopefully the podcast version is going to be less disturbing than the actual movie because there's no way it could be as disturbing. So let's uh, shoot it back to you, Daniel, and then we'll introduce our, our fabulous guest.
0: Well, that was quite the uh, quite the rejoinder there. Um, so brace yourselves, listeners, because this movie is crazy, and it is a suggestion from our guest, and our guest is Hinton Bowers, and he is going to be writing for us at actualanarchy.com. Nothing up there just yet, but this is his uh, introduction to the audience. Uh, so look for more stuff from him. But he suggested this movie to us, and so Robert and I have now watched it, and this is what Hinton told me. He said, It's a group of documentary filmmakers who follow a group of Indonesian thugs as they proudly recap the political killings they took part in during the 1960s. And he goes on to say, This would be a great conversation about ideological violence and how people are still okay with it as long as it is, quote, their side of the fence doing it. And, you know, I gotta say, man, after watching this movie, I think you're absolutely right. How you doing, Hinton? I'm doing, doing good. It's, uh, it is pretty horrifying, isn't it?
1: <laughs> this is, this is a nightmare movie. Of real like real Freddy Krueger's and real Jason Voorhees's and real mafia murderer guys talking about what they did and being proud of it. And the 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 the, the psychopathy on display is the real nightmare in this movie. Um, when I was describing this movie to my aunt, that whether or not she should watch it or not, because she has a problem with like, you know, just violence on screen. There's like lots of blood and guts. And I said, well, I don't know if you should watch this because there's, you know, apparently they put a lot of money into the special effects to recreate the torture scene of what they actually did. And having watched it, I'm saying that the, the, the little ketchup squirts that are on some people's faces are the least objectionable and disturbing parts of this movie. Um, it's almost quaint. The 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 on screen like dis- displayed violence. What horrified me to my core were the statements made by these guys, like nonchalantly or matter of factly. <laughs> and I want to get into that absolutely. Um, but um, who wants to uh, give the breakdown about what the movie is? Daniel said it a little bit. Um, well, let's let's but, get a little okay, bit. I, I,
0: Let's let's get a little bit about uh, Hinton. Tell us about yourself and how you came to uh, joining us on the podcast, real briefly, and then we'll get into the movie.
1: Well, I I think we initially connected. um, I think we initially connected on the the Tom Woods Elite group, and basically, my background. I I imagine a lot of people may have similar stories. I grew up in a very blue state. Um, I remember you know being 15, 16 years old and my English teacher threw a book at me, uh not literally but uh, figuratively, and it was called uh, Anthem. And I remember reading that book and uh it it you know it really changed my life. I remember reading this and 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 thinking uh this is this is me. I mean this feels like me. Um and, uh, I, I just started looking, you know, sort of found, uh, found, found, uh, found this movement that way.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad that we were able to connect, Um in our pre-show call. Uh, I think we've built a com- camaraderie already, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this discussion. And we're gonna talk about, I think we've already kinda spoiled it, but the act of killing which is a movie that came out, what, like about five years ago, uh, and it's associated with uh, Werner Herzog, and he's always doing these um, almost psychological disturbing movies, and this definitely qualifies as one. Uh, I'll give a brief synopsis, mostly from the Wikipedia, and then we can get into, uh, I know Robert has a thousand characters of notes or a thousand words of notes, and, and we can go through all of that. If we've got time. I don't know if we'll have enough time. You know, we've got Home Depot and and maybe Bed Bath & Beyond after that. That's an old school reference, folks. Old school movie starring Vince Vaughn, my favorite Hollywood actor who is a libertarian. (laughs) (laughs) So the act of killing. The film focuses on the perpetrators of the Indonesian killings of the mid-1960s. But from a present-day perspective. So this is all looking back about 40, 45 years. Um, And the killings were perpetrated against what was considered to be the communist community living in Indonesia, where nearly a million people were killed. And there was a military coup in 1965 in Indonesia, and then these quote-unquote gangsters started uh, forming these death squads and they would go around killing people and just basically claiming that they're communist or they're Chinese and therefore they need to be murdered and it goes through how they're proud of it and they've been approached by the filmmakers of this documentary to be able to recreate their story in whatever Fashion they wish. So, like, it's a documentary about them making a film about the historical events that they participated in, and they go through all of these um, ways of trying to tell a story so that they're not the bad guys and that they were helping the people by murdering them. Uh, it's sort of like they're making a musical, and there's cross dressing and dancing, and there's murder scenes, and all of these kind of ridiculous things, but but like Robert was saying, the real horror is just the nonchalant conversations they have in recalling these events. And, you know, with that, I think we can just start, a, start diving in to some of this. Um, Robert, you've got a bunch of notes, and I think they're probably in uh, timeline order. So why don't you start us off here and then we'll just chime in where appropriate.
1: Okay. So, yeah, like Dan said, The movie details, they're basically interviewing these kind of old grandpa-type guys now who were probably, who knows, like 18 to early 20s when this was happening. And um, basically, like Dan said, the the 65 to 66 time period, these guys were, they called themselves cinema thugs. They were basically these guys who would hang out in front of cinemas and they would scout tickets to American movies. And the um, the communists at the time didn't like the American movies, so they would ban the American movies, and the cinema thugs didn't weren't able to make as much money, so they ended up taking jobs. Basically, I don't know who who probably paid them exactly, probably the government, um, but they were paid to instead go around and round up these communists and kill them. And like you said, uh, this is. I took notes as it went along, and uh, they just freely admit this stuff. Like, they'll just be interviewing these people, and they'll talk about how they kill these people. And they'll kind of like, you can see the cognitive dissonance going on in their mind about how they did such a great thing. Um, they identify, I don't know if it was the, the, necessarily the translation of the film that I was watching, you know, the, the translation of, from the Indonesian to the American English, but um, they would call themselves gangsters. They'd refer to themselves as thugs and gangsters. Like they have no problem or issue with it. They don't hide the fact. They they, they celebrate each other as killers. It, many times in the movies, they're like, "Hey, oh, here's the killers, and here's the the real thugs and the real gangsters. Like we're all we're all awesome because we killed a bunch of people and we, whatever." It's like at one point in the movie, at one point, here's a quote. They go the one of the gangsters says, Well, communists take other people's property. <laughs> and this is true. Communists do take they don't have a respect for private property. They take other people's property. But this is being t- said by a thief, a gangster, who I'm not sure if it was this guy or not, but it's another gangster that's in his like group where he's actually seen they film him going around on his collection job where he goes around extorting money from these shopkeepers. These are people that freely admit to stealing and thieving, and then they're claiming that well these communists go around stealing and killing people, or at least stealing, so we need to kill them. So just the hypocrisy on display is, is stunning in this movie. But um,
0: Yeah, one note on that here. I that want to hear that. This was present day um, extortion, right? Like this wasn't 40 years ago. This was as they were recording this as a documentary, they were still going around and extorting people for money.
1: If right. There's, and, there, oh, sorry guys, can I, can I jump in? Yeah, jump in. There, there's a great moment, uh, where, you know, uh, it, it's, it's literally, I, I believe they're in a market somewhere and, and there is a, uh, there's this great moment where, well, it's a terrible moment, but it, great for highlighting at least. Uh, there's this moment where, you know, they're shaking down merchants and it's literally taxation as theft on display. Um, you know, it's uh, it, you know, very Orwellian. You know, there there's a moment where the governor talks about gangsters and they're they're going through it and talking about how they're quote unquote like free men. And that, I swear, it's it, it, it's it's so Orwellian because you know, it, it's almost like with a wink and a nod, he's it, really saying our men, like like the nationalist men. But it, it's like the, the sort of language they've adopted to justify their actions. Yeah, the, um, here's the actual quote of the governor speaking. It's the governor of Sumatra, and it's in the beginning of the movie. He says, communism will never be accepted here because we have so many gangsters. And that's a good thing. The word gangster comes from English. It means free men. Thugs want freedom to do things, even if they're wrong. But if we know how to work with them, all we have to do is direct them. This is the governor of Sumatra saying, yeah, we use thugs and to, who want to just go around and do whatever the hell they want. We just, we just point them in the right direction and then we get them to do what they want. We want and they get, it's like openly admitting to this criminality and they know they're being filmed talking about this and they have no fear of reprisal. It's this amazing open criminality and it's like, I don't know if this is a, a cultural thing because I can't imagine any movie like this could ever be done about any kind of American politics kind of thing.
0: Yeah, what was so shocking to me was that that was present day. Yeah. Governor talking about these things, not even referring to what happened 40 years ago where they were just openly murdering people and they went through, uh, you know, beating them to death was too messy, so we started refining and becoming more efficient and cleaner in how we were doing it. Uh, because they just kept on doing it and they wanted to, to make it easier to, to kill as many people as possible. But it, it is weird because this military coup took place and then it's almost as if these weren't government actors, but they were sanctioned by government to be allowed to do it and get away with it. And, and it's almost as if they they speak to it as, well, we were doing it you know, in the open, like we weren't hiding it at all. And people let it happen. So, you know, no one stopped us, and, and we talk about it now. No one's prosecuting us. Uh, later on in the film, they mention that it, it would be considered a war crime, and he's like, bring it on, you know. If they want to bring me to the Hague, I'll go. I'll be famous, which is a ridiculous, crazy thing to say. Um, but, I mean, that's part of what makes it so disturbing, and I had no idea that this thing was still, like, present In Indonesia, I I have some friends who were born in Indonesia, and they fled, their family fled, and now they live in Canada, Uh, but I never knew the history, like why they fled, why they're here, or why they're in Canada, and watching this movie kind of sheds a little bit of light on it, and I'm going to, I don't know, maybe ask them about it, because this is just crazy, crazy shit.
1: You can tell how horrified uh, people still are, in years and years later, by how many uh, anonymous people are credited in, in the credits, uh, especially below the line, which is usually where when you when you go to shoot, most of the people that you hire around the location are below the line. Um, it's it's almost every other person in the end yeah, credits. Did not. Explain
0: what that is. That's some jargon that we may not be familiar with, or the audience may not be familiar with.
1: So, so below the line would basically be whoever you would hire on site. So, your above the line would be like the director, the editor, um, you know, producers, uh, director of photography. Um, it would it would be like your creative keys basically, um, and, and also like top people. So maybe your uh, unit production manager. Um, people like that. Your below the line would be people you hire on site, and it's usually to save money because um, you know air, airfare and travel is expensive. It's, it's expensive to put people up and whatnot. So you, your below the line would would usually be you know gaffers and local crew people you hire you know who have a, a level of expertise that you can direct on the ground. Um, and and when you look at the credits of this movie, you can tell the amount of people who like. You know, they didn't even want their names mentioned, and it, this is a uh, this is a they must have known. You know, there can't be too many of these coming to town. So normally, you'd be very excited to have your 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 you know your credits in this in a movie that's coming to town, and and uh, the amount of people that did not want their names out there uh, it says
0: a lot. Yeah, I've got a note here yeah. that says anonymous appears 49 times in 27 different crew positions in the credits. And uh, it, it surmises that these crew members still fear revenge from the death squad killers.
1: Definitely. Well, they were all a part of this uh, Pancasilla Youth, which is a really strong, still today par- paramilitary organization. Who, when the um, the guy was running around extorting the shopkeepers, he explained that, well, we're going to have a rally, and we need to need a bunch of money for this rally, and don't even give me this little bit of money. You have to give me a lot of money. And then later on, you find out when they're at the rally, you find out that everybody's paid to be there, like from the speakers to the performers to the people in the crowd. They're all there just collecting a paycheck and how jaded and how nobody believes in any of the things they're talking about. They're just going through these motions and keeping this machinery of power in place. And was very it seemed to really expose the political process for what it is. Like, yes, you're all extorting money from everybody. Yes, this is all a machine of violence, and you're all terrible. Uh, but we're going to go into the motions, and we're going to show up just because you're paying us to, because nobody actually believes in any of this crap. I thought it was really telling. I thought it was a really good um, statement on the the really good critique on the political process in this movie also.
0: I would agree. It seemed to me that they were all just going through the motions of having a ceremony, and it was all bullshit, and they all knew it. But they still did it. And what's bizarre to me is that these, um, how do you say it, Pancasilla, these paramilitary folks, they were all wearing this orange camouflage, like bright neon orange camouflage. And it was almost as if everything they did was from TV or movies. Like they saw it somewhere and they're like, oh, in the United States they have a political process. Uh, they, they wear camouflage in the military, they have rallies, they um, do these things. And so they mimic those things, but with a lot of distortions and misunderstandings. But they're doing them because it's perhaps from a culture that they're looking up to or making it seem more respectable in their minds. Do you guys, guys kind of right. see that at all?
1: Yeah, well, it, well yeah, like you said, the, uh, the orange and black camo, what's that going to hide you from (laughs) there's there's no orange and black scenery you're blending into it's absolutely just like some weird you know bizarro reflection of actual camouflage but it reminded um, me it it reminded me of the brown shirts immediately um Mm. you know the the idea that and you know i i i looked in the background a little bit um and it it looks like the army basically it, it was basically uh um a sort of factional war between the army and the communist party that was running the government at the time. And it looks like what happened was these guys were basically contracted out by the military because the military knew they would get international heat. So I think they, they learned by basically paying these guys, these sort of paramilitaries to do the things that they couldn't do officially, you know, they could, they could basically farm out the, these horrible things. Um but it it, it it for me that was really interesting too, which is oh we're all here to be paid so who's who's paying is, is it yeah. is it the the government officials who who you know are paying themselves to the government and then turning around thats that's something I wish we had the answers to, but I don't think they go uh, they they don't get the answer on that one it's
0: right almost yeah, we just see
1: the extortion of the shopkeepers.
0: Yeah, and that would have that been the gangsters—the be gangsters, the gangsters themselves—going out and getting the funds to pay for the rally, right? Um, but it was almost as if yeah. the culture is is sort of following this like hologram or this uh, through the looking glass like worldview. It's, it's kind of what I was trying to say earlier. Like like they're they're mimicking things that they see to have some level of legitimacy to what they're doing. And it's all, like you were saying, Robert, cognitive dissonance. Like they're doing horrible, horrible things, but they need to make themselves feel as if it's okay or that they're doing it for a noble cause or or it's for the greater good or something along those lines. And it just seemed like, and, and this is going to open a big can of worms, because I feel like the... Filmmakers intended to have this be almost anti-capitalist, like they were positioning the communists as the people being unjustly murdered. And they were, of course, being unjustly murdered. But uh, my take from the film was that they were saying, oh, these innocent communists were being murdered, not by the government, but by these free men, by these gangsters in the absence of government. Like this is what libertarians want. I almost got that kind of vibe from it, and perhaps that's because of my lens. You know, I, I'm sensitive to whenever they consider somebody free men, or what would happen if people are allowed to do whatever they want with impunity, like if there wasn't uh, a legal structure in place to go after crimes or murders or things of that nature. Um, but that's kind of the, the view that I got that the filmmakers were trying to portray, and um, I don't know if you guys have any similar thoughts on that if we want to expand on it at all
1: well it's with this it's the uh to me it's pretty clear that these guys are are nationalists i mean it's uh the the idea of the culture and culture and the uniform and all that they were they're sort of the the sort of nationalist reaction and and yeah they adopted some aspects of capitalism but you know uh the the, there's a great scene like a great example of 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 what you guys were saying about the the scene where the the magistrate or the the rich guy is playing golf, right? Uh, and it's meant to be this sort of anti-capitalist scene. But for me, you know, he he makes a big point about how things were better when the government ran everything, when everything was controlled. And it, it seems to me like the the military just they just represent uh, you know a kind of, of of nationalism, and it seems like they definitely had their own kind of controls. It, it, they just won the factional war because at the time the, the uh, head head of the government was, was a, a communist and it was his party that they purged. So it seems like they, they adopted like a shadow of it. Um, and, and the filmmakers here might be portraying, you know, I, I mean, it's beautiful filmmaking. It's just, I'm not sure how accurate it is. Yeah. And from a, From an audience, from my perspective, when I was watching the film, I didn't get the sense that – I see what you're saying, Daniel, that um, this movie could be kind of taken as an anti-capitalist thing because you have these essentially – well, what's opposite of communism? Well, capitalism. So these are capitalists, and they're going around killing people because they're free. Um, I didn't get the impression that these people were portrayed heroically in any way. (laughs) I didn't see that – if you had to ask me who the villains were in this movie – I'd say it was the main characters. That this these were the that this these gangster guys were just showing you how they really were and how what they really think of murder and what they did. And they seem to have no problem with it, no issue with it. Um it's not like it's funny because they didn't really even get into any of the ideological arguments at all. It's like almost like they didn't they didn't care. They didn't care that they were killing communists. They were just getting a paycheck. They were like there were some rabid dogs being sicked on whatever population that was under attack at the time, the Chinese communists. So they make a big show that, oh, yeah, we hate communism. But do they even understand it? Do they understand why these people do not strike me as intellectuals in any way, shape or form? One of the uh, like the fat gangster guy, he runs for office and he starts talking about workers rights. And he's promoting all these things that he's going to do. Sounded very communistic from what his little like rah-rah speech when he was driving around in a little car. And it just struck me that you people don't even know what it is you're fighting or why you're fighting it. You were just like reactionary and you were being paid. And you're just some thugs, violent thugs who didn't care if they hurt anybody as long as they were getting paid. These guys were absolutely the villains of this movie. I don't think you have to worry about this being any kind of anti-capitalist movie, from my perspective. Daniel,
0: well, I just think they were they were portrayed as capitalism without oversight. Like they were portrayed as being free men, what the libertarian society would would devolve to without government keeping it in check. And so I agree that they were considered the bad guys. Um, but I think that they were also painted as being the capitalists and hence the capitalists are the bad guys.
1: But they were paid by government to do this. They weren't just like taking it out of their own initiative. I mean, I guess that one guy was, he was saying how when um, there was the Crush the Chinese campaign and he just went around, as he, he met a Chinese person, he would stab them in the chest. And then he talked about how his girlfriend was Chinese and he met his girlfriend's father, who was this Chinese guy, and he stabbed him and killed him. So. That guy maybe at that point, but the rest of the time when they were having the interrogations in that office and they were being directed by that newspaper guy, I think that those times where they were just, they were just doing their job. They were just thugs for hire, being paid by the government. So that, I don't think that would be any kind of like organization or any kind of situation that we would advocate.
0: No, certainly not. I, I wouldn't advocate anything in this, in this film. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it,
0: it was so disturbing because of how nonchalant they were about it. They were proud of it and they were just speaking of it matter of factly. Like, oh, we tie this wire to a wall and wrap it around the head and then take this stick and pull on the other end and it was like a clean way of doing these things and an efficient way. I mean, it's almost like, uh, if Milton Friedman was, was there and he was like, oh, you know, you need to tweak this this way to make it easier to, to do what you're doing. You know, sort of like when he came up with, uh, the withholding tax and, and other innovations to make government more efficient. Well, that's
1: really well, um, shown when they go on that national television and they're being interviewed by that lady who was like celebrating. They're like, look at these are the people who killed all the communists and they intro- they innovated brand-new, efficient ways of killing based on American movies. So these guys are amazing, awesome people. Everybody cheer. <laughs> like, what the fuck, man? What the fuck? It's almost like a eugenics argument. I mean, that's one of the reasons it's so horrifying. It's like, oh, we're just putting them to sleep. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons it's so horrifying. Um, yeah, we're, you we're, know, we're, we're humanely just, we're, killing them. <laughs> Yeah,
0: it's horrifying. <laughs> you know what was weird to me was that had I not seen this film, I would not have considered Indonesia to be a dangerous place. I mean, I would I would consider it, you know, like many other Asian countries. It might be beautiful. There's thousand islands or whatever it is. And perhaps I'd go there one day to check it out, see the, the beauty and the nature of it. To know that this was filmed just, you know, five years ago now, and that this kind of thing is still going on, I wouldn't set foot there. I'd be scared for my life. And that, that is a scary feeling to see this film and, and now be aware of what it's like there, but to have no knowledge of this prior to that. Like, who would have thought going to Jakarta would be dropping into this soap opera, Going through the motions, neon orange camouflage, stab you in the street area. You know what I mean? Like, it it doesn't make any sense to me. I I don't know if there's some kind of, like, travel restriction on going to Indonesia or if you were to, say, investigate. You look at Fedor's, you know, like, travel guide to Indonesia, if it says, don't fucking go there. But I had no, no idea about any of this stuff prior to watching this movie.
1: Me neither. This is the, one of the world's greatest anti-tourism movies I've ever seen. (laughs) It was, yeah, I I was frightened. I was absolutely frightened by even thinking of, I mean, obviously as a tourist, you're not gonna be exposed to this stuff. You're gonna stay in the nice parts of town or whatever. Or they're gonna treat you differently. But, just the open nature of it was amazing. Because you assume things like this happen all over the place. But I don't know if it's, like I said before, it's the culture that allows them to just spin it so positively. Like, yeah, we're the killers, and we murdered all these people. And we did such a great job doing it. Man, you can't believe how good we are at killing. Oh, man. And look at this guy. This guy right over here, he innovated a brand new way to kill people. He tied a a wire around her neck because he saw it in a movie. This guy is baller. Give it up. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, I guess it really shows how, you know, the state can spin things. If you're told from the time that you're young what you're doing is great, you're doing a great thing for society, and all media and propaganda reinforces that from print media to cultural, you know, groups to television shows. It's it, it's sort of amazing to me that Anwar, Anwar has any kind of epiphany. Um, by the end of the film because um, he, he would have to uh, at some point have uh, some sort of free free thinking uh, have to have some sort of perspective on it in order to to break out of that uh, conditioning I mean it, it's it's a it's a very Orwellian movie in, in my view um, because of, of yeah. the, the conditioning that they put the entire culture through is it, it's, it's horrifying in that way because it's like, from their perspective, it's like, we're, we're not the bad guys. We're the guys that saved our culture and our society. Um, so right. anything that you you do to save that, it just makes me more hardcore. And that's horrifying because you see that, uh, you see similar attitudes, you know, running around killing each other yet, but you see similar attitudes in, in the political spectrum in this country, which is. You know, uh, oh well, you know this guy was a bad guy, so I'm going to ride at his event, or I'm going to shout this person down because he promotes bad things. Um, you, you see, it, it's not as extreme, but I, I feel that you definitely see uh, examples that are very similar in attitude. Well, yeah, and not to mention the glorification of the military and all the the murders and killings that go on there with the just every the, the all on support the troops, right or wrong, that kind of thing. All the drone strikes, just all the murders that happen all the time. It, they're always cheered as wonderful. Well, yeah, it's an example of a society that, I mean, it basically grew up entirely around uh, the military because of, of, you know, the events in 65. So the, it, it seems like the the military basically attempted to survive and and in a way kind of created this sort of reactionary nationalistic type. Society around itself in order to survive as an organization. It's almost uh, a mirror reflection of, of socialism. It's just it, it's just sort of the opposite. It's sort of the the, the reactionary version of uh, what you might have seen in, in Cambodia,
0: for example. Yeah, Cambodia. That, that's a more well-known massacre. And I don't know if it was maybe more millions of people, maybe two million people who were murdered there, and that was more directly um, perpetrated by the government. But you know, this isn't that far behind, and and in a way it's almost scarier because it didn't take the government per se to go out and commit these acts. They did it by proxy, and it made Mm -hmm. it almost more horrifying in that they could convince people that, hey, this is a thing you can do and should do, and it's okay. We're not going to come after you for it. You're going to be lauded for it. You're going to be a hero for it. Uh, so, Robert, you were saying you know, it was almost like the military worship in this country. The ANCAP in me sees many parallels, and I'm very thankful that I am in this country and not in Indonesia, despite the parallels, because uh, it seems like it would be much more dangerous there. But one thing I wanted to bring up before we move on and back to the movie is that this reminds me of the Antifa types who will do Bush Doctrine They'll say preemptively strike because there's a threat or a perceived threat or or an imagined threat. So, and the antifas will go and punch people for free speech, claiming it's free speech, but by actually actually employing tactics that are fascist. So they're going to say they're anti-fascist by being fascist. Similarly, in this movie, you know, communism, of course, is is responsible for at least hundred million deaths. So their right to reject communism, but in rejecting it, they are utilizing the tenets of it. Like they were, they were going out and stealing openly. Uh, they are going out and taking people's very life, which, as we believe in self ownership, that's the ultimate thing you can take from somebody. And they are employing the same tactics, so they are being as bad or worse than the Communists themselves in fighting the communists. and I see that in the Antifa in present day America. in, in, uh, in
1: Cambodia, they they harness the peasants to come in and empty out the cities, right So they they went to the cities and they, they emptied everybody out and they, they worked everyone to death. In Indonesia, it's almost like you know your neighbor versus neighbor. Like, there, there's, there's almost an additional personal element to it um, that's extremely horrifying. It, it's not just purge at the top echelon. It's also, hey, like, I heard your friend was a Democrat or Republican or whatever. Let's go get them. They're obviously a part of the problem, too. So it, it, it's your neighbor down the street, too. And I, I think that's what makes it,
0: you know, additionally just
1: horrendous. Right, because these, these were people that were convinced – either after the fact or at the time that they were fighting a war. A lot of part of this movie is these gangsters kind of ex post facto justifying their actions. And they said, well, we were at war and the power of propaganda to convince them that you're under, you're fighting a war with a communist and that your neighbor down the street, this guy you just met is in somebody's black book as a communist and therefore he needs to die. Even though, do they identify themselves as combatants? Do they identify themselves as soldiers? No, nobody does. It's, yeah, this brown shirt rounding up anybody who, you know, your political enemies and using any kind of justification to murder them. It's, uh, it, it's terrifying. And these gangsters who, let's be honest here, these are not like the most intelligent people in the world. This guy, especially the main character guy, this Anwar guy, And more Congo, who is something like in his seventies now, or at the time of this filming was in his seventies. And only when he's finally doing this interrogation slash torture scene where he's being tortured and then he goes and watches it, does he finally ever kind of a little bit maybe realize that, oh, maybe those people that I was murdering and torturing might have not felt great because there is one horrific scene in the movie that these guys make. Remember, it's a film about a film where they're in front of this waterfall. And this is so disgusting. So this guy had to pause it a couple of times. This character who is one of his victims that he murdered, it says, hey, I'm back from heaven and I'm presenting you with this medal. And he puts it on Anwar, Congo, and says, thank you so much for killing me and sending me to heaven. You're the best, Congo. (laughs) Thank you so much. What level? of horrific propaganda and cognitive dissonance would it take for you to think that this is not only a, a legitimate thing to say, but this is so, any sort of justification for what you did, that, that you were doing them a favor by murdering them. What level, lack of any kind of tone deafness to any kind of reality, where your victims thank you for murdering them? I. It beggars belief if um, you guys got some topics on that and then I want to get to some quotes in this movie at some point immediately after that uh, when they go to uh, the, the the actual place of execution like immediately following that uh, there's there's a moment where he starts to go through the motions one more time and there, there is a moment where I yeah. believe it's the first time in the movie Where he refers to his victims as human beings, not Chinese, not socialist. When he and and I think that that the moment where he gets the medal, and then immediately following where he refers to them as human beings, and then he begins to retch and choke. um, I, I, you know, to me that just the first time I saw the movie, I just sank into my chair and into the center of the earth because it was just such a it was just a profound it was a moment where the empathy kicked in for the first time or at least it feels like it at least partially did. And it's, uh, you know, to to think of these people as human for the first time, that to me was pretty mind blowing. Yeah. 50 years later, it takes somebody to make him remember these things and shine a light on them and have him explain what he did to actually think of other people as human beings.
0: Yeah. And he finally felt regret, which kind of, in my mind, led me to that there is a um, almost a universal code of what's moral and not <clears throat> in respect to human life. Like he spent his whole life justifying it, having this moral relativism, telling him that what he did was was righteous and okay, and he was actually doing them a favor. But then after going through a mock of the, a up of the experience himself where they were filming that scene where the interrogation and strangulation scene, and he, he started quivering and shaking as a result of it and couldn't go on. And then he watched it with his grandsons and was like, oh, watch granddad get beat up and, and murdered. Oh, isn't this great? But then he breaks down and, and I guess has this epiphany like what he did was actually monstrous. And so that moral relativism melts away and it becomes... Uh, a truth that you know murdering somebody, taking someone else's life, is the ultimate thing, and that's it, it goes for anybody, right? It's no longer a justifiable thing.
1: And let me let me jump right in. Let yeah, me jump, jump right, right in, in, in and say the quote. Say the I'm gonna the quote of what actually because I typed all this out. When he's having his epiphany, he's watching himself being tortured, and he's reliving this experience, and he's actually getting some empathy for his victims. He says, did the people I tortured feel the way I do here? He had to ask the question. He didn't realize. Only at this point, he'd be asking the question. Did the people I tortured feel the way I do here? I was like scared and stuff. And then the director, the director actually goes, you know, actually, they felt far worse because they actually got murdered. And you're just making a movie. And Anwar goes, but but I can feel it, Josh. I Really, I feel it. Or have I sinned? I did this to so many people, Josh. It's all coming back to me. Is it all coming back to me? That's, he's like a child that never really did any kind of self-introspection. It was just so, I don't, I hate to use the word brainwashed, but propagandized, indoctrinated, um, ex post facto justification of what he did to think, because you know, you never want to think of yourself as the bad guy, right? you're always thinking that we're all heroes in our own movies right so and, and by one of the, one of the more interesting things uh as as I was watching the movie w- was to you know one of the, one of the interesting things i noticed was just you know when they would have the children participate and you know i think there is just something about children everywhere you know they they do have they are sort of raw human in a way raw humans and just to see the way they would react to just the play acting, the 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 girls who would cry long after the takes on several occasions, um, and, and you really could see with them how the propaganda hadn't quite jaded them yet, hadn't quite penetrated, you know, at, at that point, um, you know, with with the children as much as it had with Anwar, and I, I imagine Anwar never really did have much of an education, you know. I mean, you get the sense he was, you know street kid and all that. So you get a sense of someone who had a lot of potential who was just fed poison his entire life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. It was interesting when they were recreating a lot of the scenes that they would have children play acting and even, even adults play acting, recreating the, the burning down of the village or the, or the, the rape scenes and all of these things. And, and, even the actors would have these visceral responses and the children would continue to cry afterwards. I mean, in a way, I think it was the children living these experiences because even though it's, it's a being filmed, you know, and it, and it's not a real, real thing for the people making the film, for Anwar and the, and the fat gangster and, and all of those folks, but for the children going through this experience, it is real because they... Don't know what's that line is blurrier for them. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they using what they call the magic if. You know, they're really putting themselves into the shoes of of person that this is happening to. They're they're really imagining that the circumstances are are true. Um, and and that's why they they have a hard time sort of separating it.
0: So, Robert, I know you've got a bunch of notes on this, and I don't want to not get through all of them or the top ones you want get, to get out, because we're already getting to the point where we probably have enough content here to make a show, but I want to be able to really round this out before we close it down. Do you want to go through some of your notes, and we'll just make some comments, and then we'll start winding this one down? Okay. So, yeah, I, I there were just so
1: many amazing quotes in this movie that I had to type them out. As I was watching it, and I kept pausing the movie, anyway, because I was so horrified. Um, one scene is where the gangster guys are taking them into see this newspaper dude, who is like this wealthy newspaper owner, who and he's got all these pictures of him meeting all these famous people on the wall, and they're all like political or military leaders or whatever. And the filmmakers interview him, and he was basically the decider on whether somebody would be murdered or not and the the thugs were basically his like henchmen so they would bring in a communist or a suspected communist or whoever didn't really matter they were just getting paid by the head right it's not like there's any kind of you know authentication process they're just like get rid of all the communists okay look at this all these communists are dead we are getting paid by the head right and there's no like quality control you're not like actually there's no there's no um trial or anything you're not even even if that would be legitimate but you know there's not even you know you're just like saying it's like in game of thrones when cersei was looking hey bring me the head of my brother and well he's a dwarf so then all these heads of dwarves start pouring in it's like well just go find me all the communists oh look we found all these communists
0: (laughs) spoiler spoiler if you haven't seen game of thrones spoiler
1: everybody has that 10 years ago. So anyway, um, so the question was they're interviewing this newspaper dude and he said that whatever we asked, we'd change their answers to make them look bad. So magically, everybody they interviewed turned out to be a communist. And he says as my as, as a newspaper man, my job was to make the public hate them. So he's admitting to being a propaganda peddler. He's just saying, yeah, I, it was my job as a member of the media to smear Anybody that we needed to smear, and then they were asking him, you know, if he ever, if he killed anybody, and he's like, well, I didn't have to kill anybody. One wink from me, and they're dead because I had these thugs that uh, would go kill them for me. So just the way that government uses the media as its propaganda arm, and just open open corruption, openly saying how we're just I'm just a propaganda arm for the government. Whatever they wanted, uh, I was there to do it for them and he's, like, this famous newspaper dude. It, it also shows the level of groupthink. Um, you know, he swears up and down. There was no form of, form of relationship between him and the government, um, but maybe they didn't... I mean, whether that's true or not, I doubt that's true, but if it is true, then it, it shows how how much with groupthink you don't even need to directly control. Like, you can set the, the sort of... Psychological atmosphere, group atmosphere, and people will just roll with what you fed them. Um, Absolutely, just go with the program. It's horrifying in that sense. Yeah, yeah. You'll get people who will just go along and spread the propaganda without actually ever being told to do it. Um, so, at one point, uh, Hinton, you mentioned that there's this um, Pancasila youth leader speaking at a rally, and then later on, he goes to a golf course and he's talking. And one of the, the quotes of him at the golf course was, he says, we have too much democracy. It's chaos. Things were better under the military dictatorship. Better economy, more security. Gangsters are free men. They want to enjoy their life and their style. Um, yeah, then there's really disturbing scenes. There's the the main gangster guy. they He describes how he killed a man by putting a table leg on his throat. And then he, everybody sat on the table and how fun it was to bounce up and down while they were murdering him. Then he talked about how they were extorting the communists. Like they didn't kill every communist. Some communists were too rich to kill, so they would extort them. They would walk, you know, they would basically say, "You need to give me your money, or else we'll kill you." And if they didn't have money, well, then they'd kill them. But if they could pay them off, they would let them live. Um, Let's see here. Uh, There's one really good quote by uh, the vice president of Indonesia. (laughs) (laughs) This is just so so telling and hilarious. The vice president of Indonesia is giving a speech to the Pankofila youth. This big organization and all these you know, guys dressed up in orange and black camo. Here's the quote by the vice president. If everyone worked for the government, we'd be a nation of bureaucrats. We'd get nothing done. We need gangsters to get things done. Free private men who get things done. We need gangsters who are willing to take risks in business. Beating people up is sometimes needed. A little bit different from the message we get over here, but you know, just less less coded, less sophisticated, I guess. There was a government. We didn't mention this, but there's a government uh, made anti-communistic, anti-communist propaganda film made back in the 60s when this all was all going down. And they forced everybody to watch it. They made all children, schools go to the cinemas to watch it. And the fact is that they know it's a propaganda film. The gangsters all knew it was a propaganda film. But the main gangster guy – I keep forgetting his name, but it's Anwar Congo. he said that that film that they knew was a propaganda film, um, it made him feel not guilty about what he had done, which is just bizarre. It's like you'll latch on to the most flimsy evidence to make yourself think that you're a good guy. Let's see here. What else? What else? Oh, Oh, then we haven't even mentioned this guy. So this other killer is flown in and I immediately get the sense from this guy that he's more of a human being I and mean, he's still a cold-blooded killer guy but he doesn't immediately like celebrate the past. He, he more recognizes it for what it is. He admits that they were the cruel people. He says that, you know, if my father was killed, he would be upset, you know, like a like a normal human being would.
0: <sighs> yeah, uh, he calls, uh,
1: he calls uh, Anwar's... Uh sort of guilt symptoms as a nerve imbalance um at one point yeah he says you're 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 weak-minded or something like that yeah yeah it it reminds me of like it's like it's almost like nazi terminology like he called it like a physical symptom go go see a psychiatrist he'll give you some drugs and we'll fix you up you know it's uh he he basically writes it all off as as just uh just a you know physiological thing like don't worry about it it's uh your, your conscious your attack of conscience your nightmares you know right and it's funny the um the, in their culture they believe in like spirits and ghosts and that sort of thing and so at one point you know the the main like Anwar thinks he's being haunted by these spirits of the people he's killed but uh, the other guy is like well what what can a spirit do to you you're right it's just your, your weak nerves you need to go to a psychiatrist and he'll, he'll get you hooked up and you'll be fine it's not like you have to feel guilty about this So I think this is the this quote is attributed to um, this killer guy. He says, killing is the worst crime. So the key is to find a way to not feel guilty. It's all about finding the right excuse. For example, if someone asks me to kill, if the compensation is right, then of course I'll do it. And from one perspective, it's not wrong. That's the perspective we must make ourselves believe. After all, morality is relative. So it's a lot of ex post facto justification Well, from a certain perspective. You know, everything's fine. Everything's cool. It's all good. You guys remember this one scene where they're making this movie and a guy is telling a, this horror story of a stepfather being murdered. And he's talking to these gangster guys, probably to some of the people or people like them that had actually done it. And the guy is laughing like it's this funny story. He's saying how his father, his stepfather was murdered in the middle of the night or whatever, taken away and murdered. And how he never went to school because his family was dumped in a shanty town, and he had to teach himself how to read and write. And the whole time he's telling the story to these gangsters, he's like laughing about it. And the gangsters are like, oh, yeah, it's a good story, but uh, we're not going to have time to fit it into our movie. <laughs> yeah, they were more concerned and- with the, the logistics of, of executing than, than hearing this guy's heart-wrenching story Um for me that's the first crack in Anwar though is in that scene when he's uh when the guy uh who's who's standing in begins to cry and he says have mercy on me and it just cuts to Anwar and he goes huh but it's it's yeah. so for 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 me that's the first crack of what eventually you know opens up into the the gagging and and his his epiphany is the idea that oh wait maybe maybe they were really distressed yeah. Uh, I don't. It was just a very curious initial reaction.
0: That scene in particular for me stood out because the guy was retelling the story, but then he kept sort of qualifying it and saying, no, I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about you guys. I'm just trying to tell you about this story. But he said that several times yeah. so that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not criticizing you guys, but this is what happened. And, you know, then, then they buried him in the dish. He was under this barrel his leg was sticking out like this and all these terrible, horrible things. But he was almost trying to tell them that they did something wrong, but then try to per- make them perceive that he wasn't criticizing them, being critical. Uh, but the other thing about it that was really bizarre, they use the excuse that, oh, that would be too complicated to film
1: mm-hmm. in an
0: effort to not – tell his story like they're very sensitive to what's going to be portrayed in the film like they are very much steering the direction of the film they are making and they are using it as a propaganda piece as exemplified by many instances we've already discussed so right, they're but hearing it's
1: contradictory this,
0: right but but they're hearing this horrible story from the guy and they and and they immediately say well we can't sh- In their minds, I I suspect they're saying, oh, we can't dare show that. And so their immediate response to it is, oh, there's no way to to film that. It would take days to set that up, and we don't have the time or the budget for it. But it's because they don't want that story told in their film. Now, of course, for us, because it's a film about a film, we see it. And it's very telling to me. It shouldn't look like we want to drink blood. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, the the scene where he's, uh, where they're, they're talking about, you know, right before they, they shoot where they're going into the village. We, we shouldn't look like we want to do this. We, we, we have to be very somber and kill them in a humane way was the, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's unreal. Yeah. Uh, There's also, um, there's another scene where The fat gangster guy is running for office and he's giving this interview to the filmmakers and he's talking about how he can, once he's elected, he can just go up to anybody and say, you know, your building's out of code. You need to give me a bunch of money. And he's doing like the calculations in his head about how much money he's going to be able to extort from all of these victims. And he's giving this interview to, he knows he's being recorded. I mean, this whole movie is filled with just people admitting to these horrific things. But it's like they almost have no self-realization, you know? It's like, do they know how they're going to be portrayed? Is this, do they think they're going to be like they're the conquering hero? Like, this is this is a great guy. He's, he's talking about how he's going to like extort every single person in his area for all of this money and how great it's going to be what? for him. My favorite moment um, in, in the, the Herman running for office you know, sequence is, is, uh, at, at the very end after he's done campaigning and it just says, Herman was not elected. <laughs> yeah, and he's giving like the speech to his daughter and he's like laying on the bed. He's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, it also implies that he just wasn't connected or not rich enough or didn't have, uh, cause you get the sense, cause, You get the sense he was trying to emulate in like a almost sort of funhouse cartoon way. Um,
0: He was he was trying to sort of emulate
1: the other sort of big party guys in in the country. And you just get the sense that he was trying to copy them, but didn't have their level of influence within the army or whatever in order to pay, you know, enough people to stay in power. So you get you get you get almost like this sort of funhouse look into how the whole society works, but with this sort of broody, goofy Herman guy, which I I thought was Al Pacino's brother in Godfather Two. Oh, uh, gee, I'm terrible for not remembering this. Um, Yeah, it's like a phrase. (laughs) Trying to remember. It's Fredo. It's Fredo. Um, He's Fredo. He's the Fredo. 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 Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the Fredo. He's, he wants to be in on what the cool kids are doing. So, yeah. It's funny. He he just, I mean, he just says, you know, if I threaten people, they'll give me money. Well, yeah, no shit, Thug. That's what happens when you threaten people. They'll give you money to leave them alone. And this is a legitimate thing.
0: One question that came out to me as a result of this is, if this has been going on for as long as it has, and, and granted the murders died down since 1965, 66, Why isn't there a response to it, a market response to it? Why isn't there defense agencies or communities organized to protect each other from this extortion and the violence that's being perpetrated? Is it because it's this dystopian Orwellian um, state? Or I mean, did, did that strike out to you guys at all? Like, why is there not some kind of, Uh, counter veiling force to this horror that's being perpetrated against people and it's open they're they're aware of it so why is there nothing fighting it preventing it
1: yeah it's probably because it informally it is a, a government organization in a sense or these guys are essentially government contractors. So it's like you either try to complain to the count. You, know, you can't go to your local magistrate because they'll, you know, these guys will show up at your house. Um, and then I would imagine that there might have been in it, uh, a few attempts, but I, between the government and the thugs, I, I just can't really see anybody surviving long enough. And then, you know, I the purge also probably scared people to death. You weren't caught up in it, you would have seen this go down and, and it would have just been like, hey, keep your head down and try to get through your life. Um, but I, I, imagine they just wiped out enough. I read somewhere that the, the group that they wiped out, it was the third largest, uh, communist group in the world, like in terms of membership. I think they had about three million members at the time when, when there was an attempted coup, nobody really knows who was behind it. You know, the, there, there was some, declassified CIA stuff that, that basically said that um, the the party at least knew about it, the Communist Party at the time, um, who their leader was the head of the government. And uh, and, and basically the army sort of reacted and, and just wiped, you know, wiped them all out. So I would imagine it's kind of like a government market hybrid, you know, one of those like kind of a, a too big to fail arrangement where a couple people get big, they, kind of like a crony sort of crony capitalist kind of deal rigged with government and military guys. So I, I imagine with that sort of a situation, you just would never, you know, it doesn't seem like just chaos to me. It seems like orchestrated chaos. Like it, it seems like people are well aware of what's going on at the top. They just sort of unleash this informal militia as a tool to get rid of people who are a problem for them. That, that was my impression. Good deal. It gives them plausible deniability so they can, you know, so when the international community comes back, they can't be like, well, I mean, we can't control what the people do. They were worked up over these guys. So it gives them the ability right. to turn around and say, like, well, I mean, what were we supposed to do? The people just did it when I think they were, were behind it, than they admit. Yeah, yeah, they always want that plausible deniability where, you know, you're not actually, you're several levels removed from actually what's going on. And if you can't, you can't control what other people do, so... How can I be blamed for what all these people are doing? Yeah, absolutely. I thought there was one kind of funny thing where Anwar is getting interviewed and he's asking about, well, Dan, you brought up how um, he could be prosecuted for war crimes. And his defense of that is basically like, well, why? Well, why focus on my murders? There's there's other murders. Uh, uh, What about the Americans that killed all the Indians? Why don't you punish them? As if saying, well, everybody's doing it. So what? I mean, everybody's killing people. Who cares? Well, it's not, you know, why, why are you picking on me? The classic, uh, <laughs> two wrongs make a right kind of argument. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, well, Billy's, Billy's jumping off a bridge, so I should be able to get to jump off a bridge too, Mom. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I just got the impression that these were just, you know, just childlike people. Um, I want to say there's uh, one more horrific quote that I want to mention before we finish this up here. Well, there's a couple of them. At the end of the television scene where he's being interviewed on national television, uh, the, the, the host lady, she's celebrating, um, Anwar's more efficient way of killing, killing Kami. And, um, the, the question is asked, what's the meaning for the youth in this film she asked this question to you know her panel and the answer was like god must be against communists and the interviewer is like yes god hates communists that's why he made this film so beautiful (laughs) i don't know what religion they have over there Uh, is it i believe they're the muslim mostly majority in indonesia is that true i don't know but i it's just a staggering quote from what i understand it was uh, some of the bigger religious groups that had a, a big hand in the purges. Mm. So it was, you know, it was sort of a countercultural revolution. Um, it, I think it began as a military reaction of, you know, there, there was sort of an attempted purge and the military sort of reacted and then they seized on the kind of countercultural uh, or, you know, sort of reactionary cultural movements sort of push, push everything through. But, but yeah, my, my understanding is, is they were, uh, Sort of Islamic organizations. Mm. Okay, and there's one final quote that I I had to type out word for word. So they're filming the scene in the village where they're burning down the the village, and they're murdering all the people in the village. And it's like a they're just interviewing like random cast people, or they're catching cast people just swapping stories. And this one Pancasilla member. He's all dressed up in his fatigues. And he's just, you know, they're just talking about the good old days. Talking about the old times when life was good. And this is the quote He goes, If they were pretty, I'd rape them all. Especially back then when we were the law. Especially if you get one that's fourteen years old. Delicious I'd say, It's gonna be hell for you, but heaven on earth for me. And this guy you knew he was being recorded. Again, everybody in this movie knows they're being recorded. I. I that was probably the hardest scene for for me to to get through. Yeah. With, when I yeah. when I watched it first time. Yeah, I mean it's it's the kind of thing where you just put yourself in a situation where it's you see something like that beginning to happen. It's like, well, I guess they would have shot me because I would have jumped in the way or whatever. But it's just you have this moment where it's like. The most abhorrent thing, one of the most abhorrent things imaginable. And, and the fact that, you know, especially with time, this guy's had plenty of time to think about this. And the fact that he's still bragging about it, it's, it's just the most like thick, numbskull, horrific type moment. I, I, I mean, that was, that was probably the hardest. Like I, at first I couldn't even believe what I was hearing. And then I realized I'm like, no, he's, he's serious. He actually did that. Yeah, so. he's bragging about how he would rape 14-year-olds and and bragging about how life was good for him back when he was the law and anything he did was legal. So watch out if you're a 14-year-old girl, because I'm going to rape you if you're good looking.
0: So much for law, right?
1: Yeah, it shows you the yeah. arbitrary nature of that. Is yeah, what, what? What's the law back then, apparently? If you're a 14-year-old girl, you're going to get raped? That's the law? legal for raping. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm sure there was never any any legislation passed uh, to the contrary of that. Right. Not, not nobody wrote it down, but that's that's what happened. And he was obviously not ever reprimanded or prosecuted or charges ever brought against him. And, he's and in the end, it just bragging it, about it. it. All goes, yeah. In the end, it all goes back to like sanctioned violence. They were because they were, quote unquote, bad people you know, we could do whatever we wanted because clearly they're, they're rotten. So it's all goes down to like this sort of politically sanctioned violence and how like yeah, it really does show like anything was fair game
0: for these guys.
1: Yeah. You, you dehumanize the enemy and everything you do to them is justified.
0: You know, the, the beauty of this whole episode, as horrific as it is, I don't know if it's as bad as the film, but it, it's, It's pretty rough stuff to talk about. But we don't even have to apply any Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist insight into conveying how horrific this is. This is just on its face horror. And I guess that's one interesting thing I I wanted to mention as we start to wind this down. Why don't we do the 30-second elevator pitch final thoughts on the film itself from each of you guys, and then I'll chime in, and then we'll shut this one down.
1: I think our guest should go first go ahead Hinton for, for me this film is about uh, political aggression and violence the dehumanization of political enemies and it makes a strong uh, strong case against the use of state force definitely definitely um yeah, for me it, yeah it uh, just piggybacking on that it, it encapsulates so many things the the horror that government, does to people to, I mean, if, if, if there wasn't a government force that was out demonizing, or if there wasn't some political apparatus for the communists to take over, or there to be squabbling back and forth about, none of these things obviously would have ever happened. I mean, there were, people wouldn't have had any cause to murder their neighbors. It would have been providing value for each other. Um, we would have these thugs, but they wouldn't necessarily be doing, they wouldn't be getting paid to murder all these people. Um, I, 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 I hesitate in recommending this movie for anybody to watch. If you could watch through in one sitting, uh, it's amazing. But um, I definitely recommend it as, a, as an encapsulation of the horrors of government and the way that it uses and corrupts everything from the media um, to the people. And I mean, the way that they paid people to show up to their rallies as if these were people that needed to be listened to or popular or whatever. It's just all propaganda. It's just all lies. People just going through the motions to get a paycheck um, and they're just being paid by extorted from, you know, honest businessmen. Uh, I could go on. It's so it's such a nightmare. It's also it's, a, it's also a psychological study on the psychopathy of these men and realizing their humanity some a little bit hit the end. In the way that people can justify their horrific crimes. I know I, I, I didn't encapsulate that in the 30-minute, 30 30-second 30 speech, but watch this movie if you're brave enough to. It's it's a really good. You can apply it anywhere to any political system. I don't think this is the the only thing that's unique about this Indonesian one is just their openness. It's almost like everybody signed some kind of piece of paper that said, "Now you're going to be free from any prosecution, so you just go ahead and tell us what really happened." Because, uh, yeah, they just fear no reprisal because they are the law. So why would anybody you know, come after them?
0: Yeah, it's like they're all congressmen or something. Yeah. Yeah, so my 30-second my elevator pitch is, uh, Hinton, we're friends now, right? I would say so. Fuck you for making me watch this, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I I digress. I mean, it it is a horrible, horrible movie to watch. Granted, it's well done. And in a way, I appreciate that I've watched it because I was not aware of the untold horrors that happened in Indonesia. And I had no idea that it's a place I would never want to go as long as the current regime exists. And that's frightening to me in that there is a lack of awareness of this whole event even occurring or the fact that the people who perpetrated it or supported it uh, are still in power. That's just bizarre to me that people aren't aware of this. And it takes a movie that's very, very hard to watch. It took me two or three wow. sessions to get through. And, oh, man, I mean, I... This has been one of the tougher shows that, that I think we've had to do. I, I say fuck you, but I also appreciate that you brought this one to the table because it is so difficult and challenging. So with that, let's wrap this up. And, uh, Hinton, why don't you just give the audience a little bit more on, um, what they can expect from you on the site and if, if there's a way to reach out to you or do you have like a Twitter or a website or anything like that, or will, will you be primarily doing articles on actual anarchy?
1: Um. Yeah. I'll be. Uh, I'll be blogging on the the actual anarchy site, um, and you can reach me through there. Uh, I'll I'll probably be focusing mostly on my my one of my big interests is uh, interests is both government and cultural authoritarianism. So I would imagine a lot of my posts would would. Uh, fall in line with that which is probably why i i uh tortured you with this movie (laughs) because i I felt like it was uh one of the one of the best uh examples of of both in full uh swing so so i'll probably uh continue to focus on things along that you know along this line and it's certainly that it's a it's an important film and yeah, I think people need to see it. Um, it's definitely hard to watch um, if you haven't heard of it, and, and it's also yeah. Thank you to our guest for bringing it up because it's not a movie I would have seen any other way uh, other than having to watch it for the show. Because it's definitely not something you view for pleasure. Uh, it's fascinating um, and horrifying. It's, it's 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 watching a real life like a, a like a pack of Jeffrey Dahmers all talking about. You know how how awesome they were for killing all these people, um, and just you know, you're not even talking to people in their jail cells. Usually these movies are like you're interviewing like BTK after he's been caught, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I killed all these people all these different ways." No, these people are walking around town. You could like go to Indonesia right now and meet these people, uh, which is it's telling why there's so many anonymous uh, credits in the in the film because yeah these these people are still absolutely in charge. They're still dangerous. And they have no qualms about killing. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's my two cents.
0: Well said. Well, hey, I, I think, uh, we've probably talked about this one plenty. Horrible, horrific, terrible, but recommended, uh, if you've got a strong stomach and, and want to be aware of, of you know, the true evil that is behind government. Uh, it's, it's sort of if you take it to the extreme, you know, if, if you take it, reductio style, all the way to the extreme, and that's where you end up. Uh, So this has been the Actual Anarchy podcast brought to you by the folks at reedrothbar.com. We also run actualanarchy.com. Click on any of the Amazon links that we've got to support the work that we do. We're on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Overcast, all of those other places. If you are new to us from the Tom Woods shout-out, thank you for joining us, and we hope to – Bring more insightful and uh, interesting movies and commentary from a Rothbardian, anarcho-capitalist perspective. Uh, I think we're going to mix it up a little bit because this is a pretty dark episode. Maybe we'll go a little lighter fare next time. Uh, but I think that doing movies like this is important. And so, Hinton, I, I do appreciate you bringing this to us. So with that, I'm going to say goodnight. And, uh, gentlemen, feel free to uh, say your last words. Well, thank
1: you. Thank you for having me on and uh, and for for going with this selection. Uh, you know, I apologize for uh, the level of darkness, but I I, uh, I do think sometimes you have to stare evil in the face and talk about it. So that's what we did today and appreciate you having me on. Thank you. There's nowhere to go but uh, lighter for our next episode. So stick with us if you like this content. Keep us going. Uh, rate us. Review us. Talk about us. Uh, there's been some mentions of us in other Facebook groups. And we're really happy about that. So uh, you little freedom muffins, you uh, take care of yourselves. If you're planning any trips to Indonesia, just be aware. Yeah, take care of yourselves. Be, be good to one another. And uh, I love you all. Good night.